This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I don't know, Alex always mentions when she makes something or when we create something to create emotions. And if if, if they can walk away, I'm, I might be stealing her point here. <laughs> but if they can walk away with, with feeling a bit moved about the beauty of the Arctic or they can feel like they were able to see a place in the world that was super unique and felt like they were there with us, then I think we've we've done a good job with with inspiring people to who maybe travel more or um, just to see that there is different places in the world. There are different cultures and they're more and more accessible to us, but there's definitely a right way to go about traveling to them and viewing them. I'm Brady. And I'm Alex. And this is the Tom Roland Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast today. We have a great show for you. One of our most popular guests ever is Brady Troutman from the YouTube channel SV Delos. They have um, an amazing channel there. They've got an incredible tribe of supporters, and I hope that many of you are here today. If you are, welcome. Uh, we're here to talk to Brady and Alex Blue. I know a lot of people last time wanted to wanted to hear from Alex. They want to know what, what's been going on with these guys, and we're going to find out today, find out what they've been doing since they left SV Delos and what they are up to now, a new project. And this new project is really, really cool. You're definitely going to want to hear about this. Um, it's it's a documentary, and it's uh, it's something different than they've done before, and I've seen it, and it's awesome. And we are going to get to that. We're going to find out all about it. Before we do, I want to get to uh, tell you a little bit of news that we have going on. Um, we have new shows for 2021 for Saltwater Experience. Those will be on Waypoint. WaypointTV.com is the place you can go. You can get that on any device. You can even go to Samsung Plus and see the Waypoint TV channel there, as well as Pluto, 
Zumo, Tubi, so many others. Uh, if you go to waypointtv.com, you can find out exactly how to watch on whatever device that is, whether it's your phone or TV or Apple TV or whatever you have. It's probably available there. You'll learn how to do it on waypointtv.com. That's where we're going to put them first. Then they go to Discover, or uh, sorry, then they go to Sportsman's Channel, then Discovery Channel. So we're really excited about this season. We've got some great guests. I'm very excited about one of the guests that we have. We're going to fish with uh, Captain Dave Dinkert. He's a guy that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Fished around him in a ton of tournaments, and we finally get to have him on the boat. So that is really cool. We also have some new species and and things that we haven't done before. Uh, so we're really excited about 2021. We also are excited because we have some new sponsors, new partners for 2021. One of those is Tackle Direct. I haven't uh, announced this on the podcast that we have Tackle Direct as one of our newest sponsors and very, very super excited about this because these guys have some big ideas about how we can work together. I have some big ideas about how we can work together and that is all going to benefit you guys with exclusive discounts for Saltwater Experience and Tom Rowland Podcast fans. We're going to have uh, all kinds of good stuff going on in 2021 with Tackle Direct. So with those two things, there's another piece of news that I want to talk about, and that is that I'm going to um, start communicating with those who would like to be communicated in this fashion. If you're on the email list, you're getting some emails. But if you want more up-to-the-minute information, you want the goods, you want to know exactly what's going on, if there's a special, if there's a discount, if there's a new show, if there's an exclusive podcast, whatever, the way that you're going to be able to do this is through text. And we're going to try this new text service. Uh, all you have to do is text TEAM because you're going to be on my team. You're going to be a team member. T-E-A-M. Text TEAM to 305-930-7346. 305-930-7346. Text TEAM to that number. You'll become a part of my team right away. You'll get a response from me. It'll be an automatic response, but everything after that will be coming if you just click the link and you become part of the team. And this is where we're going to tell you about exclusive discounts. This is where we're going to tell you about uh, shows that drop or anything exclusive to this audience. So um, excited to start communicating with you that way. You'll also get it um, on the email. It just takes a little bit longer. The text is going to be you know, up to the minute. So if you want that, text TEAM to 305-930-7346. And you can also hit me up with some show suggestions, some guest suggestions, how-to Tuesday suggestions, questions, whatever. Try it out. I'll respond to you. Try it out. Let's see what happens. And I'll, uh, I promise you I'll respond to you. It's coming right to me. It comes right to my phone right here. So try it. Try it right now. And see if I respond, and I will. Um, okay. So while we have some new sponsors, we also have our tried and true awesome sponsors that have supported this podcast, and we are very thankful for them. Barracuda Tackle, the makers of the finest cast nets in the world. You can go to barracudatackle.com. Get yourself a new cast net. It is wintertime, man. The bait is moving inshore. You can catch it way better with a net that opens perfectly uh, Barracuda Tackle is the place to go. EmpireCovers.com, that's the place to go to get an affordable boat cover. They have all kinds of covers. 
they cover everything. If you got an RV, you can cover that. Jet ski, grill, patio furniture, whatever you have, they make covers for it. But they have a special on boat covers. Well, you can get a you can get this special on any of their covers. If you go to empirecovers.com forward slash TRP, like Tom Roland Podcast, TRP, you get 15% off and free shipping off your entire order. So if you go to go there and you get an RV cover, a boat cover, and a grill cover and patio furniture covers, you get 15% off the whole thing and free shipping. And that free shipping is going to pay off because boat covers are heavy, you know? So that'll help. Boathammockstand.com is where you get the stands that go in your pre-existing rod holders and allow you to hang a hammock in your boat. That's a cool product. A lot of people have been getting that. Uh, Boathammockstand.com, that's where you can go. Hook, makers of this shirt right here and all the clothes that I wear on the water. You can go to hookgear.com, enter the code SE30, SE30. You get 30% off your entire order. Get some new rain gear, some boots, for fishing in the wintertime. That is that stuff's expensive anyway. So get 30% off the entire order with the code SE30. And also Wiley X, that's the sunglasses that we wear. They are awesome. They're like safety glasses as well as good sunglasses. So if you're like me and you have a phobia getting hit in the eye with a rod tip or a jig flying out of a tarpon's mouth or anything like that, um, get yourself some sunglasses that will protect your eyes. Wiley X is my choice. I think you will like them too. I like the Valor. That's the one that I like the most. You can enter the code EXP, like experience, EXP20 for 20% off your entire order there. So awesome. Thanks. Thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to you for supporting the sponsors. That's the best way to support the show. If the sponsors are happy, they keep supporting the show, and we can keep doing it. So that is awesome. Now, I think you're really going to like this show today. We, I gave it a quick introduction before, but Brady Troutman and Alex Blue are super popular. They have a, a rabid, rabid group of fans on the Delos channel, along with his brother. Uh, they, they have gone all over the place, and now they're going someplace completely different. Never been there before. Svalbard. If you don't know where that is, stick around. It is way up north, 80 degrees north in the Arctic Circle. That's where it is. And they sail around this island, Svalbard, and see all kinds of wildlife. It's really a fascinating documentary. It's a fascinating story. And we have Brady Troutman and Alex Blue on the podcast right now. So here we go. All right, Brady, Alex, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing today? Man, doing great. Um, as we mentioned right before this started, my kids are back in town. You know, it's Thanksgiving and and uh, got the whole family back together. So, you know, my favorite time of the year, really. Nice. Yeah, even with yeah. all the weird things happening, it's still a great time to get together. Yeah, it is. Although it's a weird year. I mean, like we're not having anyone come to to see us this year on Thanksgiving. Everybody's, my parents are like 83 and 82 and they're very healthy. They'll probably, they might outlive the rest of us, but you know, they're, they're careful, you know, they're, they're just really, really a little bit more careful than I've ever seen them before. So we're just going to have a very kind of calm Thanksgiving. We're not going to have a lot of people around, which I don't know. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I like to eat and I like to have my family around. So 
anyway, it'll, it's just kind of a strange year. So uh, you guys, are you in Tahoe? Yep. Yep. Up yeah. in Lake Tahoe, California. We just got our right first, first couple storms of the season. So the snow is starting to lay down. Everything's transitioning from summertime sailing to winter snowboarding and backcountry and stuff. Yeah. Well, I would be, uh, I would love to find out kind of what you guys have been doing since leaving Delos. If, if I don't, um, there'll be a riot in the, uh, in the comment section because <laughs> you have, you have probably the most engaged and loyal audience of I've ever seen. Like it, it's really incredible what, what that, uh, it's a family, really. Like the, Del- I mean, the Delos tribe is is super passionate. I'll agree with that. They're awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've never, Alex. This is the first time that we've met. Uh, I got to do this with Brady before, but I do feel like I know you a little bit, and you must get that from a lot of people that watch tons of your stuff. I mean, they just feel like the way that you do it. It feels like you're right there. It feels like you get to know all of all of you. Yeah, we do. We do hear that from a lot of people, and so. It's pretty awesome, you know, when we're traveling and we have people reach out to us in the most random places around the world and we get to make friends with all these people. And like radio, it says half the work's already done because they already kind of <laughs> know our background and know our personality a bit. So it's really, really cool. It's such a awesome uh, group of people. I always say that uh, sailing's like the best filter for people. Yeah, it takes away yeah. all the bad people in the world <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. So what have you guys been doing since, since uh, people saw you last on Delos? Oh man, we've been working a lot of this documentary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, been, we've put in a lot of time on, on this uh, Arctic documentary, 80 North series, which is live now, completely live. So head over and watch 80 North series.com. So excited for someone else to watch it besides our little group of people that's been slaving away on it for two and a half years. Like, two and a half is years. Is this good? Is this done? Let's show it. Over 2000 hours of editing. Like, yeah, we've poured our heart and soul into this thing and are so excited to finally just like put it out to the world and step away for a minute and like get off my computer <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So but yeah, and we came up to Lake Tahoe. We were originally planning on coming for the winter and snowboarding. And then um, we put some some roots down, started mm-hmm. a base. We bought the condo that we're in right now, which is a pretty big deal for both of us who have been living out of backpacks for the last 10 years. <laughs> it feels good to just like put your stuff in a drawer and paint a wall, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> plants. We have a lot of we plants. Have a, we all have house plants. <laughs> You do. It looks somewhat tropical. I mean, you've chosen you've chosen some kind of tropical plants to remind you of of uh, all the Florida time and and the Bahamas and everywhere else you've been. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, once once COVID hit, we just, you know, decided to kind of stay put. Um, Traveling didn't sound that enticing to us at the moment. Um, And I think we just needed to catch our breath and be here for a bit. And then we had the idea of starting the Cruisers Academy, which is basically a sailing school. And our original plan was to get a big blue water boat and go teach people on the ocean. Um, But so many things fell into our lap this summer in Tahoe. And now we have three Catalina boats and we spent the summer teaching and sailing every day up here. And Mm -hmm. it's awesome. The lake's really something special. So we had a good time for sure. So busy. We've been busy. Started a sailing school, finished this documentary and uh, we have a dog. Like, you know, land stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the documentary, um, you guys sent me a previous copy. I've been able to watch it. It's uh, it's really it's really good. 
it's it's really cool. And I know that when you pour your heart and soul into something like that, I mean, we make TV shows for a living and you you just edit and edit and edit and edit. And sometimes you just kind of lose yourself in the whole process and and stepping away is one of the best things. But then then when you release it out to the world, it's almost like it's your baby. Like, yeah, now what? Like, is that what you're feeling right now? Like 2000 hours of editing two and a half years working on this thing. I think That's, I'm ready for the world to see it for sure. And I'm not at the point where it's like, it's my baby. Like it's still, I'm just like, get away from me now. <laughs> like, you know, we've watched it so many times and made so many changes and stuff that um, it's, it's perfect in our eyes and, and an incredible story and a super unique filming adventure that we did. Um, but there's not much more we can do on the back end. It's ready. It's ready to be shown right. to the world. So that feels very good. Did you, did you have um, any experience like uh, on your YouTube channel? I mean, you've got what, 10 years of content out there. Um, and so you get kind of good at, at creating shorter pieces. How was it moving to a longer, like a, like, like this longer piece? I mean, this thing was two and a half hours, probably four different parts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's each part, it's a four part series and each part's around 30 minutes. And um, our YouTube channel is pretty unique compared to other sailing channels in the fact that we we do have longer episodes on our YouTube channel. Most of our most of our episodes are 25 minutes or so. Um, so for us to go into this and make it a series, it was a pretty natural kind of transition. Um, although, of course, with the YouTube series, like we release an episode every Friday, so you can't spend two and a half years working on a on a Friday release. So at some point, <laughs> you have to really just let go and be like. That's all I can do. I'd love to spend a week working on this animation or like the audio for this whale sequence. But at some point you just have to let it go. And and for us to be able to take that extra love and time and put it into this series and kind of push ourselves as, as filmmakers and kind of evolve a little bit out of our normal YouTube series. It's been a really good challenge for sure. It's been, it's been a great challenge and, and um, I don't know, something we're pretty proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I think too having three editors on it, because like you said, when you are editing a editing a project, you can get really lost in it, and you're watching mm-hmm. it, and you almost don't see it anymore. You don't hear it anymore. You're just focused on these, you know, annoying little details that if someone else watches it with you and yeah. you point them out, they're like, "I didn't notice that at all," you know? Right. Um, but because yeah. we were able to kind of give it this this time and and sort of like breathing room. And we were able to pass it back and forth, the project amongst each other. So because we were still sailing and shooting the Delos channel and all this stuff. So I wouldn't see the project for a few months after Kiro was working on it. He'd send it back. And then I'd sort of have new eyes and go in and be like, oh, this should be swapped. How did I not see this before? Make this changes or, oh, this is missing. Let's add a sequence here. So I think that having the time to do that really brought the project to a place where I'm just so proud of it. I think it, it turned out as as good or better than I could have imagined. Yeah. So let's talk about how somebody can see this. And certainly we're going to go into what it is and, and details about the trip and stuff like that. But I thought you had kind of an interesting uh, approach on this one uh, for, for how people will see that. It, can you tell, explain how somebody would, would see it and what this model looks like? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, we, we decided to go with what's called a pay what's fair model. And it's pretty much exactly how it sounds. Like people can go read about it 
watch your podcast, uh, watch the trailer, and then be like, wow, that really sounds cool. I think two hours worth of uh, footage like this four-part series is worth this amount of money, basically. Uh, it kind of puts the, the, the choice in the viewer to be like, that was really cool. I think it's worth this much. Or like, I can't afford to pay that much. So it's, it's this much, you know? So it's kind of um, stays true to our authenticity and being creative. And I mean, you know, with, with network TV and, and anything like that, you sometimes you have to give up a lot of your your creativity or or you have to add drama or take I don't know you know what I mean there's always something you have to yeah. give and take right and for us to be able to release this on our terms and the Delos way feels really good it's like staying true to our our viewers our fan base because we didn't have to compromise any editing style it's 100% us and what we love um and also for them like I said cuz they can pay what they think is fair yeah. Had you seen that model work for somebody else or is this kind of, did you kind of uh, use a hybrid between a couple of different models or how did you come up with that? Yeah. Um, you know, the first people that I heard of doing this was Radiohead. I think they were during like the Napster days and LimeWire and yeah. stuff. Yeah. They came out and they're like, all right, well, everybody's going to download our music for free anyways. There's no point fighting this piracy. Let's just release our album for free and then people can pay what they think it's worth after listening to it. So that was kind of the first people that I heard of doing it. And it was super successful for them. Like, it was great. Everyone was just like, it's a great idea. Like, I really enjoy your music. And you're right. I was going to pirate it. But thanks for giving it to us for free on your website. So here's here's whatever. So nice. they, they did it. And then there was another YouTube channel called Yes Theory that did a documentary um, recently that also did a similar model when we were talking about doing it this way. So it just feels right. Yeah. As soon as you said LimeWire, I think I had a, a, a minor panic attack because I think that attacked my computer. And I, I'm pretty sure I had to get a new computer after I discovered LimeWire and thought it was a great idea. And then that thing was a virus. That was just a giant virus. Mm -hmm. What's um, the other one? Kazaa? Yeah. Napster? All yeah. those. I had to get a computer, oh, like a new computer every year when I was a teenager because I would just <laughs> pirate so much music and like blow the computer up and then have to get a new one. Yeah. And it was, it would do something to your computer too. Like it would just, I don't know what it did, but man, I haven't thought about LimeWire in forever. That, that was, and now we're, we're like showing our age probably, or my age anyway, of even knowing what LimeWire is. Um, but now, now there's all kinds of better ways to pay. Like even back then when Radiohead did that, I would think that still it was challenging to pay Radiohead. Like today you've got, probably 10 different ways that you can pay digitally. Yeah, you got Apple Pay and PayPal and I mean stuff I don't even know about. Amazon and and all kinds of things. So um does that make it easier to to kind of decide on that model that it makes it very convenient. I mean somebody really would have had to go out of their way back then to pay Radiohead. It's amazing that that was successful for them. No, you're right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and this day and age with everybody watching on their cell phone or tablet or now you can stream everything to a TV everything's right there at your hand. So like it, for, for us, because we have this amazing, like we talked about our audience, the Delos tribe, they're super passionate and super dedicated. That's why this whole pay what's fair is even possible is because of, mm -hmm. because of all of them, you know, like going with um, a traditional streaming, popular streaming network, all the, all the guys that are out there, it'd be great. And it would be an awesome achievement for us to be like, wow, we made it on Netflix. So we made it on Hulu. Um, but at the end of the day, after weighing all the options and considering how, how awesome our 
viewers are and our Delos tribe is, we're like, no, we're doing this the Delos way. And we're just going to like put it out there for them to make the choice of what they want instead of uh, losing our creativity and, and adding more drama, taking away this music, adding this, changing the format. So um, I'm pretty proud of, of it coming together. It's been a lot of work. Even building the website is completely custom. I mean, I don't know how many hours went into the, the actual website, 80northseries.com to make this all happen. And now it's out there. So now we just, hopefully people watch. <laughs> so, so uh, about that part, the, uh, if, if, if someone, you know, wants to watch it, where do they, they're going to go to the website. Is, are you hosting all of that bandwidth and everything? Yep. So it's, it's all hosted through Amazon. It's, it's like the oh. backend Amazon web server mm-hmm. um, is hosting all the videos. And then, yeah, we just built a, a, a website to handle all the views coming in and, and the, the model that we've created for the pay what's fair. And yeah, so 80 North series.com is where anybody in the world can see it. That's another thing too, is, is our audience is global. And with a lot of releases, it's hard to get licenses in territories all around the world. And with this website, anybody in the world can go to, it doesn't matter where you are, what time it is, you can go to this website and you can watch our series. So it has nothing to do with, you know, licenses for certain zones or places in the world. Nice. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about um, kind of how this came about and, and, and exactly what it is. Like 80 North, the significance of that is, the, is obviously the latitude, the 80 degrees. And um, that's way, way up there. I thought it was kind of cool. Like you, you went around to a bunch of people, obviously kind of familiar with the North. And we're like, do you know where Svalbard is? And they were like, no, what? Where? And then you show it to somebody on a map and he's like, wow, that is way up there. I mean, that is way up there. I did a little research about it and, you know, it's known for its whaling culture and, and, and then coal mines as well, which I kind of thought was kind of weird um, that they would mine coal there. Yeah. I guess there's a ton of it. I don't know. Why would they mine coal there? I, I mean, obviously it's a rich area, but it seems like it's a, once you get it, it's a long way to take it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It It is super rich there. Um, and so they kind of attempted um, to to start mining it there. And I think they pretty quickly realized how difficult it was to get it out of there. Not just the location, you know, it's 600 miles from the North Pole, but one of the main like Russian coal mining settlements that was built, it's like back in a fjord and that fjord would freeze over sometimes. And so they couldn't <laughs> even get the coal out of the fjord. Um, so now that's just an abandoned mining town and even around the main town of Spitsbergen, it's all abandoned. So I think they realized pretty quickly that it wasn't quite worth the amount of energy that it was going to. Yeah. Yeah. And now they have, you know, tourists and cruise ships and stuff that go up there. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, um, it seems like a really, really cool place. Like you guys were just like walking around on the streets there and it just seems like I mean, it almost seems abandoned. There were very few people there, very few. I saw something that said there were less than 200 people that lived there in the summertime and less than 35 in the winter. So a bunch of them move, move out in the winter. And then there's like the, the scientists there and then there's the, the tourism people. And so there's more, than, there's more than 200, but I guess 200 residents, I guess. Um, but the place just looks so cool and so beautiful. It's so, um, it's so vast there. I think that was the thing that was most mind blowing to me. You know, you look in one direction and I I think too, as a photographer, like 
I see a lot of places that people go to and take pictures and then they post the pictures and the photos make the place maybe look cooler than they are because then you go there and you're like, eh, all right, this was like played up a little bit. But I mean, Svalbard is just one of those places where to get any photo that does any justice to how massive the scale of mm-hmm. every single mountain peak is there it's hard to do and that's only in one direction then you look this way and it's like a whole nother scene and you look this way and it's just like it's 360 degrees of just this super vast landscape so it's truly mind-blowing up there yeah there's more there's more polar bears that live in the area than people <laughs> like i read that too in order in order to leave the little town i wouldn't even call it a city the village the town in order to leave that you're required by law to have a rifle with you for polar bear protection and then of course when you're out sailing like every time we stepped foot on land and left the boat we had at least one rifle flare gun air horn like of course the the primary thing is to scare the polar bear away you never want to um hurt a polar bear at all it's there you're in their world up there it's not the other way around so uh, the, the gun is 100% for last resort protection. And unfortunately, it has to be used sometimes. So with your um, experience out west, I know Tahoe doesn't really, isn't, isn't a place for grizzly bears, but have you seen grizzly bears before? Like up in Montana or Wyoming? I've never seen Idaho? grizzlies, grizzly no. Bear. Yeah. I was just wondering what the, the the scale of a polar bear versus a grizzly bear would be. I know a polar bear is really a big animal. Yeah, they're yeah. huge. I don't know the scale. I don't know either. I think polar bears are a bit more slender compared to a grizzly bear. Yeah. Uh, especially when the ones that we saw. I mean, it's summertime, so that's not um, like the best season for hunting for them. So they were a little bit on the scrawnier side. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a scrawny polar bear is a big polar bear still. Yeah. <laughs> they got such an incredible neck. Like their neck is it's it's a different um, it's a different structure than the grizzly bear and and. You know, a polar bear like puts his head over a hole and waits for a seal to swim by and rips it out of the hole with his neck. I mean, they have an incredible, their neck looks like, like a horse neck almost. It's huge. Um, they're a very impressive animal. Um, so getting back to how you decided to, to go to this place, um, how did that all happen? Because that's a big part of the movie. Definitely. So we were actually crossing the South Atlantic on Delos at the time um, from 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 Cape Town to Brazil. And we got an email from some friends of ours, Andy and Mia. They have a, um, a podcast as well and a company called 59 North. And they do sailing expeditions offshore, taking people on trips, mainly on offshore passages. And they were planning on heading up. This was in 2017, we got this email and they were planning on heading up to Svalbard and doing an expedition. And they basically were like, we have like a month in our calendar where it's just personal time for us. And we'd love for you guys to come up and like maybe film something or not. Just come up and enjoy and see what high latitude sailing is like. And I remember we all we all like read the email and talked about it. And we're like, where the hell is that? <laughs> and do we want to do that? Like we're all we're in board shorts on our way to, the, to Brazil. And we're like, really? I don't know. But of course, like, you know, two minutes later, it's like, of course, we're going to do that. Like we have to. So from there, it was just a year of constant planning. Um, it was me, my brother, Brian, his wife, Karen, and Alex on the boat that started planning for this trip. Um, so we had to buy, you know, cold weather gear and like, like we, we had didn't to have buy anything. socks. We had to buy and, socks. Yeah, we had like nothing. <laughs> We're like, all right, we have 
sport shorts and bikinis. So yeah, it's not going to work too well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how it came about just by friends reaching out and saying, I think you guys will dig this. But those friends, like, how did you meet them? Because like, if a, just a fan of the, of the, I mean, we have people sending emails asking me to go fishing all the time. And, and as much as I'd like to, I, you know, can't, plus I don't really know them. And, and how did, you know, but it's different when it's like somebody that, you know, a little bit better, they ask you to, to do something and you're like, Hmm, now this, yeah, you know, raises an eyebrow. Like what was it about, about Andy and Mia? How did you know them before? Well, it's kind of funny actually, because Brian, which is Brady's brother is American. Yeah. And then his wife, Karen is Swedish. And actually Andy and Mia are the same. So Andy's American and Mia's Swedish. Um, so there was a lap over at some point, I think maybe a year or two years before the invitation where they all ended up in Stockholm at the same time and got together, I think for, you know, a meal or a coffee yeah. or something. Um, and they, I think they all clicked immediately. Um, <laughs> they're all quite similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, even like when we were on the trip, it's funny. There's a lot of photos of like the four of them walking and like Karen and Mir dressed the exact same way and Brian and Andy are dressed <laughs> the exact same way. Like there's just a lot of similarities there. So they had connected and met in person. Um, so and that, they connected the first time through just the sailing world. Yeah. Like it's just pretty much if you know people that are making a living in the sailing world, uh, whether it's videography or trips, yeah. you know each other. It's and a I'm, really small yeah. Yeah, world. Yeah. Sailing. Nice. And so you take the you kind of all of you kind of take the this invitation seriously. And then it goes into kind of the planning stage, which which we've talked about. And one of the things that is of note is it wasn't this didn't take place on Delos. Right. This was on Andy's boat. Right. right. Which exactly. is that I would imagine that like even Brian in the movie was saying, you know, he was thinking about like what we would need to do to to your boat to make it, you know, more, you know, seaworthy up in that area or what you would need to do to make it more comfortable or possible. Like what, what, when you get on this boat, like, what do you notice immediately? Like, oh, we don't have that. We don't have this. Why? We never need, we never thought about that. Like it's, it's an Arctic sailing vessel. Well, not, <laughs> not really. Not <laughs> I mean, really? I'd like to, yeah, yeah. We'd like to think it is, but I mean, that's one of the big things that came out of the trip is realizing you don't need the crazy big aluminum expedition boat to go up there and do it. I mean, Eastbjorn is a, a 48 foot swan built in, I believe, 1972. So she's an older fiberglass boat that was basically designed to cross oceans fast. It was a racing boat with, I think there's like enough room to, for 10 people to sleep. And they're just single bunks all throughout the boat. And it was just made to cross oceans and go fast. So it definitely wasn't built for the Arctic specifically one thing i want to say really quick for anyone that that maybe isn't a sailor or has thought about sailing in high latitudes like that um most boats most cruising boats delos and isbjorn are both made of fiberglass and an ideal kind of high latitude expedition boat would be made of aluminum steel cement like it would be made of a more durable material so that if ice were to hit the boat it wouldn't just puncture it Um, and so that sort of time back into what Brady's saying. So this isn't necessarily a boat that was built to go sailing in the Arctic. Um, but yeah, it made us realize that maybe you don't need a boat like that to make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the big thing was they installed a diesel heater on the boat before the trip. That's super important. Um, but other than that, besides a diesel heater and the right gear, 
that was the only changes. That was the only two things that we didn't have on Delos at the time. Um, I think one plus that Ispiron has too is that it, the way it's set up, Delos is a little bit more set up to sleep fewer people, but live like actually live on the boat. You know, right. there's a massive like living room area and all this stuff. And and um, on Ispiron, it's like there's bunks. Like you just jam people in there and you <laughs> you you know go the extra mile and it's it it went a long way because we couldn't have fit that many people on delos that's true um so when we look when we're looking at our blue water boat we really want a boat that we can jam people into for expeditions (laughs) because it's fun like the more people yeah the better really everyone brings something different to the table you know yeah yeah so on this one you had eight people on the boat is that right yeah yeah and and let's go over who who all that was cool so um, the, the kind of Delos, so it's two separate crews basically is right. the way it came together. Yeah. So the Delos crew is made up of me, Alex, uh, my brother, Brian, and his wife, Karen, and also Kirill, who has sailed with us in the Southern Indian Ocean years ago, and also is an editor for the Delos YouTube channel. So an incredible videographer, incredible editor, and just, I don't know, just a good guy to always have around. He's just a funny South African dude. So he's a great dude to have around. <laughs> he's got a big smile on his face all the time. He seems like a super happy dude. Yeah. He is, yeah. He's great to have around. Always down for an adventure and just kind and, of and an incredible filmmaker. Like he's yeah. a, I always call him a wizard with the camera and mm-hmm. editing. And yeah. So that's kind of who made up the Delos crew. There was five of us. And then uh, the 59 North crew, like Eastbjorn on that boat was Andy. Uh, the captain, his wife, Mia. And then there was also a photographer they had on board named James, who's an amazing photographer from the UK, Mm -hmm. um, who they met. I don't know how the three of them met, but once they met and and Andy saw the photos that he was taking, he's like, you're coming to the Arctic with us and you're going to be the onboard photographer for the whole trip. So it's just a bunch uh, of random people coming together. (laughs) Eight random semi-adults. When you think about a photographer on a sailboat, you would think, you know, I mean, maybe you get some cool angles, but James got in like a, yeah. a lot, right? I mean, it, he, he like had a dry suit and is getting in among the, among the ice. And it, I mean, he really went for it. Like he was not like just a, just like snapping some snapshots. Like he got in. Yeah. Yeah. He brought a couple other cool, unique things to the trip too. Like he brought some climbing gear. Um, uh-huh. So I know there's like one sequence, I forget what episode it's in, but wherever in was climbing up some of the glaciers. So that was cool. And he also brought the hydrophone, which was probably one of the top moments of the trip for me personally, was dropping that hydrophone in the water when we saw the beluga whales and listening to their sounds. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, even <laughs> even level. like thinking about I mean, it gives me chills. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed like, you know, I don't. I don't know how much we want to do a spoiler alert on your movie or not, but that seemed like one of the highlights of the trip. Like that one little piece of equipment, and you always have. Anytime you go on some kind of adventure, or you come back from a camping trip, or you come back from a hunting trip, or or a fishing trip, and you're like, "What was the one thing that we had that made that trip?" And you, usually, it's something. You know, it's like. You got you got some little piece of something, or you brought an extra jacket, and you would have froze your ass off if you didn't have it, or you know. And it seemed like on this one that that hydrophone like super enhanced that whole day. Oh yeah, I would one hundred percent agree. Yeah, I mean, it made yeah. that it made that like yeah. We're not going to give too too much away, but the videography we got of the beluga whales is like some of the coolest images and, and video we've ever got. And then you have the hydrophone in the water and then you can hear them. It just adds like a fourth dimension, a third dimension to the whole experience. 
and the way that that's that's edited together we actually use some software that if you're wearing really good headphones the the sounds of the whales are singing kind of around you oh really yeah it's really cool so it's it's just a little added uh easter egg if you're listening to this that that you can go and check out if you put on really good headphones during the when we see the beluga whales the sound is like going around you almost it's really cool yeah, well, I mean they're they're known. Uh, it said in in the movie they were the, they're known as the canaries of the sea, and obviously, s- someone has been able to hear them. Could you make out like when you drop that hydrophone in the water? All of a sudden, you know, whoever was there first, their eyes lit up immediately. Like it was like you hear it immediately. Could you? You know, you were pretty close to them. Could you ever hear them outside of the water, or was it silent above the water? No, I you didn't. can't. No, I mean, if you're, you can hear uh, dolphins and stuff. Like if there's dolphins on the bow and you're yeah. up in the bow, you can hear them above the water like that. These right. whales were a bit farther away, so we couldn't hear them outside. So yeah, it was really the the hydrophone. Um, but actually, when we were editing this, I was doing some research on belugas in general, and there's some there's some crazy things. Like there's one beluga that is uh, said to mimic human speech. I forget where it is in the world, but he's in like a zoo. What? Yeah. And he'll like the diver will go in his tank to clean it and he'll yell like, help, help. Not like that, but in his little way where it sounds like it's muffled screaming underwater. You have to look it up. It's crazy. And then there was this other like Russian beluga that got found in Norway with all this like gear on it that he was like retrieving stuff. They're super smart animals. You should look into it. It's really crazy. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I mean, whales and dolphins, they, they are among the, the smartest, um, it, certainly in the ocean. Um, I've, I've never seen a beluga whale. I've seen other types of whales, but uh, they're, they're really cool. I've, I haven't ever seen any of the really giant whales. That's, that's something I definitely want to see. But all of them are super intelligent. Um, yeah, that, but that, I guess the beluga is the one that, um, that's where the whaling culture comes from in Svalbard, right? Is that the was that the main whale that they were that they were going after? Do you know? I think it was mink whales to begin with, which okay. are quite okay. a bit bigger. Um, and the way that they come to the surface to breathe and stuff, it made them really easy to hunt. Um, but yeah, the whale population in Svalbard got almost totally wiped out in mm-hmm. like I think the 17th and 18th century. Um, so I can only imagine what it was like then sailing around. There must have just been whales literally everywhere. Um, and we actually got pretty lucky. We have a friend who did a lot of research in Svalbard and has spent a lot of time there, a Norwegian guy who's actually the narrator. Oh yeah. Got a great voice. Yeah. He's (laughs) awesome. Um, and was a very big resource for, for this project for us. Um, but he was talking to some of his, uh, scientist friends up there and they actually sent us a map of where beluga sightings had been in or you know around Svalbard over the last year or two I think they've been starting this research and how many whales they saw each time and everything and I mean I think there was maybe one or two other sightings by scientists with that many whales yeah and they were out specifically looking for whales so the fact that we got to see that money and that many in the way that we did we were we were actually really really lucky it was the day of magic yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I mean that day for I don't know how how it looked with your with your filming and like what you're getting I'm sure that not much happens on some days. And then you have a day like this, that it's like, that's almost like a whole episode, like of what happened that particular day. Same thing when we're filming a fishing show, you know, it's, it's days of nothing. And then 30 minutes, you make a whole show. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. It just happens. You just, why you have to always be ready, you know, and, and everything's always rolling. Yeah. Um, you guys brought a ton of, uh, of gear. It looked like on some of that camera gear, um, and drones were a big part of this. I mean, you got some really, really nice drone shots of, of everything, not just of the wildlife and, and, but just like the approaches into these, into these fjords. And it was just really cool. That drone, it enhanced the film substantially. I mean, because you could see like the scale of like the boat and then the ice and then the mountains. And it was just, I don't know that you could get that without a drone. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. Yeah. I think the drone, like I was mentioning earlier, the vast, vast scale of everything, it is hard to capture on a handheld camera. And then, yeah, once you're able to put the drone and kind of make it, you know, be a bird a mile back, it really helps tie it together and, and show just how big these areas are in comparison to, you know, the little boat on the screen. <laughs> and even, and even, even then, like the drone shots, you look at it and you're like, when I close my eyes, that glacier was the size of a skyscraper, you know, and the boats, the yeah. mast is 60 foot tall and the, the, the glaciers like thousands of feet tall and it's still it's still hard for that to come across but at least it does it more justice than like what you said a handheld camera would do right so had have you ever been either of you ever been into an area like this like iceland or anywhere north like this or was everything about this new to you we actually went to iceland uh right before we went to svalbard like a month before yeah we went and um (laughs) To and, prep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We went and rented a van for 10 days and, and drove around and made an episode about it on the Delos channel. So we were we were getting a little bit acclimated, um, but we were driving around in a van and not in a boat. So definitely some similarities. But it was funny because I remember when we were in Iceland and someone told us that we had mentioned we were going to Svalbard and someone's like, oh yeah, Svalbard's like Iceland on crack. And I just couldn't even believe that because Iceland is so gorgeous in itself yeah and so i was like what like it can get even crazier than this um (laughs) but it yeah true especially from the water and just going to these far off places it's it's another level yeah i want to see iceland really bad but one of one of the things that i want to see the most is the the glaciers calving into the ocean like just that seems to me like that is the ultimate to be able to see that and you you obviously saw some of it. There was some some uh, footage in the in the movie, but did you get close to that? Yeah, the one spot that we found, we found this incredible like mountain that you that we hiked up, and we had like a perch, and then it went down into the bay where the glacier was, and the glacier was across the bay. So we were, I would say, less than less than half a mile away. Maybe it's hard to tell with the scale how far we were yeah. actually away from the, the glacier, but. We were close enough where it was super loud when when pieces would fall off, and the pieces that were falling off were the the size of apartment buildings and houses and stuff. I know. And and for you and you you look at it and you're like, is that like the size of a car yeah. or like you just don't know, right? You don't know the scale because there's nothing to compare it to. But we were far enough back where it was safe. Where if a big one were to go, we wouldn't have gotten swamped by the the tidal wave that it sets off. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then in that area, I don't even know if you could be in a boat down there. I guess you could be in, in some areas where they it's a little more predictable, but there's ice floating all over the place. So like that goes in, creates a giant wave. Now there's giant, basically floating coral heads uh, all around. Like that seems super, <laughs> super dangerous. I think uh, sitting, sitting where you were is 
would be awesome. But that, and then watching the volcanoes uh, go into the ocean in Hawaii. I mean, those those two things. It's like where the ocean, where the land meets the sea. You know, like where the ice hits the water, where the volcano goes into the ocean. Those are two of the coolest phenomenons that that I I know of. But I haven't seen either one of them. I really want to. It sounds it's, it's, super yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree, man. It's something like those two things you mentioned are things that have been happening since Earth was created and, and like will continue to happen way after we're gone. And they don't care that we're here or not. It's just like, <laughs> you know, volcanoes will still be erupting and glaciers will still be. But I, but I think so much of Earth was formed, you know, it's it's happening so slowly or before we were around or anything. And to watch such a dramatic landscape change so quickly where you can right. actually watch new earth be formed or watch this yeah. like, you know, thousand year old glacier come apart like that. It's to be able to see it kind of condensed into this little moment, you know, that we can actually observe is super special. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. And, and I would imagine up there, you know, there's probably, I, I mean, I know there is a tremendous amount of research going on to the ice retreat. What was, what was the culture like, up there like when you're talking to the locals when you're i mean is that like really on their mind or because i also looked at like the the mean temperature of of the svalbard svalbard that's hard to say uh airport uh was like 13 degrees so that's the that's the average temperature across the whole year so i guess you have some days where it's 40 and probably a day couple days where it's negative 100 i don't know i mean it's really cold there yeah so, but what, what was it like? What's the culture like up there as far as the ice goes? Like, are they like, you know, talking about the good old days when, when it was, when the mean temperature was two degrees <laughs> or like, I don't, I don't know. Are, are they aware of it? I mean, it's, it's weird because as a global population, you know, we're bringing attention to that there, the fact that there is an ice retreat and they're obviously studying it there, but I don't know if you're, if you're right in them in it if you would even notice like it's super cold and there's ice and it's been doing this for thousands of years like what was that culture like that's a really good question yeah i i mean, they definitely noticed I, I can just think of one example before alex and say hers um in iceland we we hung out with a guy specifically that had grew up in iceland and he was like when i was 10 or even younger i came here and this is where the glacier was and like showed mm. us and we had to walk like almost a mile to get to where the face of the glacier was now. And he was probably in his 40, late forties, fifties, maybe something like that. So in a period of 40 years in his lifetime, he's been able to see it. And, and I think that's what we, most of the people we ran into are like, Oh, they have those stories. Like, Oh, my parents told me when it was here, or it's definitely an issue and it's definitely upfront and talked about in the culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the wildlife too, do they, I mean, like the polar bears, did they talk about, that polar bears used to be in town and now they're not, or like what, what was the deal with the polar bears? Were there more or less or more voracious? <laughs> I think, I mean, just specifically on the note that you talked about, I think that uh, actually polar bears are coming into town even more so now mm -hmm. because there's less food out there or less ice to hunt on or anything like that. And of course there's food in town, you know, and so they are having issues with certain polar bears coming back and coming back often. And what do they do about that? And, um, you know, it's interesting because I think up there, there's, there's, there's a pretty big uh, hunting culture up there too. Mm -hmm. So maybe from our point of view, where our idea of the polar bear is like, oh, these majestic 
creatures that are, uh, you know, endangered and all this stuff. And you go up there and, you know, hunting polar bears and walrus and all this stuff has been a part of their culture for a long time. For sure. So they have maybe a little bit of a different relationship with them. Um, and there's all these, you know, you know, laws and stuff protecting them now, but um, maybe not as like a, a mystical of a creature as, as you or I would imagine a polar bear to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same, it's the same as if you live around a bunch of black bears or you live around a bunch of grizzly bears, you know, it becomes a part of your world that you might open your back door and there could be one right there. And, you know, you have to be careful and you have to, you have to understand that this is part of their range and you are living in it. And that comes with some potential consequences. Um, but I thought it was interesting that while while you say that they're protected up there, you're also required to have a rifle wherever you go, which obviously means that there are lots of encounters with the with There's, the polar bears. Uh, like Brady said, the polar bears. Yeah, yeah, like Brady said earlier, the all the flare guns and the rifle and all this stuff are hopefully to scare the bear away. Um, but I know there was an incident. I think like maybe a few months after we left Svalbard, where there was a bigger kind of cruise ship boat that went on shore with a big group of people and a polar bear came and they, yeah, the bear came at them and they shot the bear and killed it. And I just, I don't know, it made me really, really thankful that we never were in a situation like that because I I could, I wouldn't even want to share this trip if that was something that happened on it. It would just be so devastating. And yeah, um, yeah people have to deal with things in different ways. and. I mean, the way I see it is if you're going in the polar bear's territory, like you're gambling your life. You shouldn't be gambling their life, you know? Right. But when yeah. it comes yeah. down to it and you see a polar bear running at your wife or something, like you're going to shoot it, Yeah. you know? So yeah. it's hard. It's really, it's a fine line for sure, but there's risks involved. Yeah, for sure. So you guys spent two and a half years or two years working on this, on this film. It's obviously very special to you. That place became very special to you. And, um, what what are you hoping that people will take away from from your work here? I don't know. Alex always mentions when she makes something or when we create something to create emotions. And if 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 they can walk away, I'm, I might be stealing her point here. <laughs> but if they can walk away with with feeling a bit moved about the beauty of the Arctic, or they can feel like they were able to see a place in the world that was super unique and felt like they were there with us, then I think we've, we've done a good job with, with inspiring people to, to maybe travel more or um, just to see that there is different places in the world. There are different cultures and they're more and more accessible to us, but there's definitely a right way to go about traveling to them and viewing them. Yeah. I would, I would hope that anyone that would watch this would maybe think differently about the way that they want to take their next trip somewhere um i think it's really easy to just like hop on a cruise ship or you know go with a travel company or something and there's definitely perks to doing things in that way but i know that when we were in svalbard uh a lot of the locals that ran some kind of a tourism thing were frustrated at times that you know a big cruise ship would come in people would come come off walk around and kind of just take and not really give back to the local mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage anyone and um, who wants to, you know, go see the Arctic or really anywhere in the world, take the extra time to think about where you're going and sort of frame the trip with like, how can I give back to where I'm going instead of just take? 
um, you know, go to local places, even if you're staying in some like a hut in someone's backyard or go on a small sailboat instead of a big cruise ship, you know, um, think about it in that way. I think, I think that if more people traveled in that way, um, it could be a really good thing for travel in general. Yeah. Well, with Corona, it may, the cruise ship, uh, industry may, I don't know what the future is of that, but we, you know, um, my whole business and life is in Key West and we have cruise ships there and they, they come in and, and there's been, you know, drone studies and helicopter studies of watching the people go off the boat and they go down this one street and then they kind of make a T and then they go this way and then they kind of come back. And, uh, if you're on a street, you know, the next street over, you might get one or two of those people that come in and buy something there. But for the most part, it is, it is this little traffic pattern that that's kind of where they go. This is about how much time they're going to be on the Island. And, and if you're off of that, you're not benefiting from the cruise ships at all. The people that are on that are benefiting greatly from the cruise ships. So there's this, there's this kind of, it's like, uh, it's a love hate relationship. Like, some people really, really love them and they couldn't do their business without them. And other people can't stand them because of this, what you're talking about. It's just take, take, take. There's no give. There's water, water uh, quality, water pollution issues where the, the harbor is really too shallow for them or for some boats. And they create all kinds of a, a, a plume of, of sediment that goes out to the reef and it's no good. Um, and so you have a lot of people that are fight it and a lot of people that feel like if they went away, then that they wouldn't make a living. And so it's kind of this, this strange kind of controversial topic in, in places like that, whether it's, whether it's Svalbard or Key West or, or the Bahamas or any place like that. It's like the cruise ship is, it can be the worst thing in the world. Or it could be the best thing in the world, I guess is, I don't know. I don't know how it could be the best thing in the world. really. <laughs> well, I, th I think, I think you said it right. And Karen says it in, in the series that like, for Svalbard specifically in any places that have some sort of um, political issues or any kind of climate issues, like any type of, of people taking pictures and, and spreading awareness is good. And, you know, if a bunch of people come in on a cruise ship and they take pictures of a glacier and they learn about it retreating, that's great. Cause then maybe they'll go tell people who will tell people and then eventually they'll be able to vote in a certain way that'll, that'll help with the future of everything. So that that's good. Creating awareness is good, but yeah, like you said, there has to be some sort of other, side to it where it benefits the local communities and isn't just that T section. And then they get back on the right. Yeah. I think even right. just more cooperation between the cruise ships and whatever community they're coming into could help alleviate some of the issues, you know, like work together more. Yeah. I mean, I know that in the, in the, in the kind of the subject of Key West, I mean, they do work with the, they think they're working with the community, but they're working with the leaders who's, who are going to benefit from the cruise ships coming in. And they are assuming that they represent the entire community, which of course they, they don't. And I'm sure it's the same wherever they go. It's like, you know, yeah, we're going to try to, to, to deal with the community and try to do what's best for the community. And then you have community leaders that are there telling you, Oh yeah, this is what's best because it's what's best for them. It's not necessary, but you're never going to have anyone that's going to represent all interest, but it kind of comes down to the, to the, to the subject and the, really difficult question, especially, you know, in your movie, you're going to this super pristine place so far away and so remote, but you still have a lot of the same kind of issues and problems that you have everywhere in the world, like um, trash, plastic, 
And the fact that, I mean, like there's this whole thing of just loving a place to death. Like you see it in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho and Florida and everywhere of just, just loving a place to death. So like the question I would have uh, framing it like that is if, if someone was intrigued by this area, what is a better way? I mean, someone might not be able to kind of do the kind of trip that you did maybe out of time or they don't have the resources or something like that. Is, are there, did you kind of come upon other ways that people could go and see an area like this and not necessarily be part of a, of a cruise ship or is it kind of one or the other at this point? There's actually a handful of boats up there that do uh, similar ish trips to what we were doing, but are open to, if you wanted to go book the trip, you could Um, Mm -hmm. smaller sailboats going out with small crews. And I think something really special about that is, you know, it was, it was weird sometimes because we would, if we were going to a beach or something and a cruise ship pulled up there and all of a sudden you're in like one of the most remote places in the world, but there's like 50 people getting off this cruise ship yeah. and you're just like, what is going on? Um, so I think going on a smaller trip like that is really a, a cool way to do it. Um, also, there's, I mean, in Iceland, we rented a van that was super fun and like pretty affordable. And, yep. you know, you can drive around the whole island like that and... So I think there's definitely ways that you can do it, even if you're not a sailor with a boat and have all this experience. There's definitely people to piggyback off of. There's a lot of sail to ski trips that are becoming more popular where you actually sail to an anchorage and then hike up and do backcountry if you're a skier. So that kind of form of tourism is growing. And I think, as you mentioned, after coronavirus, I think smaller group travel is going to become way more popular. Um, as yeah. opposed to yeah, traveling with thousands of people at a time. Yeah, and Svalbard has, I mean, there's land stuff. There's dog mushing. There's snowmobiling. There's you know long treks and snowshoes. You don't necessarily need to fly there and get on a boat and go. Yeah. Um, there's you can just stay in the town for a week and do excursions from the little village. Yeah, and that, and that would be that. That would be an incredible experience. So I think yeah, there's there's definitely plenty of of options for people. The best one during COVID, I would say, is to watch 80 North series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, one, one thing that didn't make it into the, into the film was um, your midsummer party. Yeah. Like, they said no filming. Like, what goes on in there? Like, that has to be a crazy party. Like, all of a sudden, the, you know, the sun's out. Like, it's, it's the warmest time of the year. Those people go nuts. What happens in there? I don't. Can you say? Are you sworn to secrecy? I don't really remember, to be honest. <laughs> it's a hell it's of a hell party. Of a, it's a hell of a party. Yeah, it's is. Um, it was actually cool because oftentimes when we're when we're traveling and filming stuff like that, you you don't want to encroach on people's space, especially during a party. So when they were like no filming, it's it's we're like sweet. That's awesome because that just forces us to put the cameras down and enjoy as well. And. I don't know. It was just a crazy house party with a bunch of random, like Nordic scientists. <laughs> yeah, I bet that they were going after it though, man. They had all these dress up stuff. There was hats and wigs and like, like who brought all this stuff out to the, like the most remote <laughs> scientific outpost in the world? And they brought like wigs and hats and dress up gear. That's their one party. That's that's it. I mean, it it's all about that one party. And that you know that that midsummer is like a it goes throughout the Nordic culture, right? Like, did, did you learn anything about that? But I mean, it's like a thing, like it's like a, a holiday or kind of a, a celebrated kind of day. It's the longest day of the, of the year, right? 
Yeah. yeah I mean, so Karen, with Karen being Swedish, she's taught us about it. We've, we've celebrated a few times and it's all about the height of summer. Like everything's blooming, like fertility, people are outside partying and, and making love and making babies. And it's all about, it's all about that. It's all about just being fruitful when the sun is up because the winter is coming soon. Yeah, I think the, uh, there's a high uh, rate of births nine months after. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Um, you better hurry because it looked like with a mean temperature of 13 at the at the uh, at the airport that that midsummer, you know, you got about two or three days in there where it's going to yeah. be nice and warm and and uh, you better better make hay while the sun shines, as they say. Exactly. <laughs> So of of this trip, um, obviously there are a lot of memorable things. Is there one thing that sticks out that was kind of the most memorable for either of you or both of you? Mm. Besides, I mean, besides the beluga whales, that was definitely um, a top experience. For me, I guess just seeing a place that I always thought of as being like so far and so remote and so on top of the world, like, you know, 600 miles from the North Pole, you're just so far removed from the world, you know, and just the experience of being up there and seeing the sun, like go above your head like this all day, every day. I mean, the whole experience is just like mind blowing to think about being up at that, that latitude. I think one moment that really stands, stands out for me when I think about it, I have this like feeling in my chest of like being like high kind of, is the day that we were standing on that peninsula watching the glacier calve. And we were out there from, I don't know, one in the morning till five in the morning or something. And we were drinking moonshine and, you know, filming and flying the drones and just like blown away by this view. Um, and then we realized that the ice flow had changed and we very quickly had to run back to the boat and like get the hell out of there. But I just remember running back on this beach and, you know, I had a little buzz going, but the, all that, these huge ice sculptures had come into the beach and they were like, you know, as big as I am on the beach with all this ice in the, on the water and then this glacier in the foreground. So I was like sprinting and like trying to take like all these photos as I was running and then getting back and jumping in the dinghy and then like getting on the boat. Everyone put the drones up the, the boat was surrounded by ice and James jumped in the water and I put my camera in the housing and we were like filming and it was it was just this moment where like everyone was just like high I think on the yeah. energy um and yeah. that moment for me that like hour or so whatever it was was just I'll never forget that that feeling you know that's a really good yeah. point it was like flow state like everybody yeah. was in their zone everybody had their camera of choice James was in his dry suit in the water the drone was up and we were all just like yeah, flying high, filming. It was a, just, a pretty deadly situation. Yeah, really. it was just enough to like have a little danger and edge to the moment, but also enough for us to have fun with it and be able to like film and you know uh, make our way out of there. So that was yeah. a cool one. Yeah, that that ice where where um, where it all comes in and it's just kind of surrounding you, and you actually have poles where you're pushing it pushing it away. Like, how much worse could it? get um before it's a real problem I mean, you were able to just slowly make your way out of there and that seemed like kind of like a i mean it could obviously get a lot worse than that right and and it could have that even that day had you stayed in there longer right and what once it does then what do you do <laughs> hopefully <laughs> i mean uh, yeah so in that specific scenario i'm not going to give away what happened and how we made it out but in that specific scenario normally what happens is is it's tidal ice flows so like the tide changes 
you're stuck in a bay, there's a glacier calving, and that tide all of a sudden switches to a flood tide, starts bringing in all the ice into your bay, and it fills it up, and you just basically get crushed between the ice and the shore. That's like the worst case scenario. Um, there is a chance that as the ice comes in, especially with, with boats like steel boats or aluminum boats, as the ice comes in and crushes you, it pushes you up on top of the ice, kind of like squeezing a lemon seed out. It, it pushes mm. you up on top. Uh, that's kind of a best case scenario if you start to get crushed. Um, and I don't know what would have happened with us because we have a big keel on Eastbjorn. And if it continued to come in, I mean, we would have been crushed. We would have been on, in our survival suits and, and calling for rescue, most likely. Did you ever read that book, um, Shackleton Endurance? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, he's on the other, other end of the planet, but... Man, what an incredible book that is. That is just, I mean, once I started kind of looking into where Svalbard was and I was like, man, this, that's like the other end of the planet, but yeah. not that, I mean, same latitude, basically a little further up, but man, that, if you haven't read that book for everybody that's listening, that is literally one of the very best adventure stories, stories of survival, stories of just people just defying all odds i mean that is an incredible story alf or uh shackleton's endurance that's yeah, uh, yeah. and that's the kind of stuff we read before we went to svalbard so you did <laughs> like, holy shit all right here we go <laughs> yeah that'll make you pay attention yeah. yeah there's actually a really good film i think it's called shackleton's captain um obviously about the same story but kind of the role that his captain played um, because he sort of gets all the attention for it. And his captain was very much a part of the survival. And he was the one that was navigating them once they got in the rescue boats and all this stuff. So that movie's worth a watch too, especially if you have a background on the story already. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I love that story. I mean, I just, I couldn't stop reading it. It was just like one thing after another, just like the the next thing harder than the one before. Like just another one of, I mean, just, it just kept going and kept going of all these things these people had to endure. It's un unbelievable. So I know you guys got a bunch of stuff going on. You, you got the film coming out today. So I just want to ask a couple more questions. We'll draw this to a close. Um, as, as you kind of have this experience of going to this place and you've obviously been to so many other pristine and beautiful places um, and, and you see kind of similar issues of uh, whether it's trash or loving, loving a place to death or, or, um, climate change or whatever you want to call it. Um, what, in your opinion, does an individual like you or I do, do about these things? Like in your, in your opinion, like how, how do you make a difference? How does some, a person make a difference? Yeah. We, we talk about this often and I think Alex has a pretty good I just I think that it can be really difficult when it comes to stuff like this because we feel like oh what is what can I do as one person that's actually going to make a difference but if everyone has that attitude towards it then yeah nothing's going to change and I mean there's a lot of higher level things that need to happen as far as legislation and you know around the world through a lot of different countries and I'm not sure how we're we're going to get there but I think that one thing that we can do as individuals is um vote for good people and also to vote with your dollar. Um, I think that it were, we live in a very like consumeristic society where it's like, I want something I ordered, I buy it done. Um, and I think that if you take the extra time, especially for staple items in your life and make sure you're buying from sustainable 
you know, companies that go the extra mile to be giving something back. Like it's, it's kind of trending now, actually, a lot of companies will like plant a tree if you buy something or collect plastic out of the ocean or, you know, use recycled materials. I think that if we can support businesses like that, we are voting with every dollar we spend. And I think that, you know, that's, that's actually pretty powerful and it takes time and research, but um, I think that that's a, a huge a huge move that we can make as individuals. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's so easy and I'm, I'm wor- I work on it every day. If I need something, how easy is it to go on Amazon now and just buy something? And it's like, take a step back and realize that what you're buying does affect the entire world. And you may think it's small, but if everyone makes these small changes, it really makes a big difference. So if you want to buy something, look around your town, see if there's a local shop that sells it, take the shipping out of the picture, take the plastic out of the picture. And little things like that, I think, lead to bigger changes and vote. <laughs> yeah. It's about all we can all do. Right on. Okay, cool. Um, well, that's good perspective from from two people that have uh, really been a lot of different places and seen a lot of different things. And sometimes that changes your perspective in, in some cases. But uh, go back to the film. How does everybody see it? How, how can they go watch it right this second? Right now. Right now, go right, right now. Right now, go to 80northseries.com and there's a trailer up there. There's a there's a little more info with with Blue and I. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful website. We're really proud of it. Type what you think is worth to pay for two hours of a crazy adventure sailing on top of the world that took us two thousand hours to make <laughs> two two and a half years. If you like it, share it with a friend. Yeah, if you like it, share it with a friend. On the website, there's a place for you to comment. So we'll go in there and answer comments and questions and stuff, and share it. And thank you because this, by you supporting this and, and it creates an opportunity for us to have future productions at Expeditions. Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, this was, this was really cool. I really liked it. I think that you guys should definitely be doing, doing more, more longer things like this. It was really good. You did a very good job on it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. All right. So go there and support them and check it out. You're not just supporting them. You're going to be able to see a docu-series that is, is really good. I learned a ton and the quality of it is, is fantastic. So I hope that you'll all go there and, 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 uh, check it out right now. It, uh, happens to be out today. And, um, so go support them right now. Awesome. So it was great catching up with you, Alex. It was really nice to finally meet you and I hope we can do this again. That's definitely. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. All right. We'll be back next week. Awesome. See ya. Bye.